guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Happy day after the election. So obviously you guys know this episode did not come out when it usually does on the listening site. It comes out first thing in the morning, but uh, what good would it have, would a would an episode be that I recorded yesterday and that came out this morning without any analysis of the things that happened last night. And so I'm going to go through some of the things that happened in the election, some of the things that are still happening, why so many people on both sides of the aisle are freaking out, why there are some rumors of fraud, some surprising numbers, in, and why I feel good, even though I don't know the results of the presidential election. I'm actually pleasantly surprised. I I went to bed at at midnight last night feeling good about everything. Um, I woke up this morning feeling good about everything, even though there's a lot of uh, contentious things going on. And we're going to go through some of that. And I'll talk a little bit more about why I think there is a reason for conservatives and especially conservative Christians to be comforted about the state of the election right now. So Trump had a pretty good night. I mean, if you were on the pessimistic side of this and you were listening to the polls and you were watching the news, you were thinking this is going to be a landslide for the left. I mean, definitely the past five years since Trump announced his candidacy, it's been an onslaught of negative media attention towards Trump, especially while he's been president and then especially since uh, the coronavirus started. It has been nonstop pedal to the metal. Um, negative coverage of Donald Trump and his uh, incompetent leadership. And so we were told that this was going to be a blue wave, that there was absolutely no way that Joe Biden could lose because this is the most unlikable, the most incompetent, the, the dumbest candidate that we could ever have in Donald Trump. And so, of course, good old Uncle Joe is going to lose or is going to win. That's what we were told. And I'll be honest, I kind of bought into that a little bit, obviously not believing those negative things about Trump, but thinking, okay, the hatred towards Trump, the vitriol towards this candidate really does seem unprecedented, even more than it was four years ago. I actually think that there there might be some kind of blue way for Joe Biden. It's not because I thought that Joe Biden think that Joe Biden is a compelling candidate at all. Obviously, he's not. I still hold to the position that no one is really for Joe Biden. There's a lot of people against Donald Trump. And so I just thought that the hatred against Donald Trump was going to uh, end, maybe not in a blue wave, but in a better night for Democrats. And so that's why I kind of feel good, because no matter how you shake this, this was a much worse night for Democrats than Democrats themselves anticipated and certainly the Democratic media anticipated. That much is true. When Trump finally won Florida, I mean, we knew that he won Florida early in the night. For some reason, some media outlets refused to report on that. But when they finally called Florida, I said, "Okay, this is actually going to be interesting. We knew that Florida would probably go red, but you never know. It's a contentious state. Obviously, there are a lot of electoral votes there. It's the state that uh, both candidates want at the beginning of the night. And it could have really gone either way. What was interesting about that is that Trump performed so much better than he did four years ago in what is typically a very liberal county, Miami-Dade County. And the reason for that um, is because a lot of Cuban-Americans supported Trump. 
Why? Because they've watched the Democratic Party shift so far to the left and start echoing so much of the social justice, socialistic rhetoric that they heard back in Cuba. And so they are hearing echoes of uh, the dictatorship of Fidel Castro. They know what communism is like. And when they see people on the left, even if it's not Joe Biden himself, but Kamala Harris putting out a video the other day that's saying equity means equality of outcomes. That is communism. When they hear things like that, when they hear Bernie Sanders, who is on the Joe Biden unity task force, talking about socialized health care, talking about reconfiguring the suburbs in a way that ensures equality of outcome, Cuban Americans realize, okay, that sounds eerily similar to what we heard in Cuba that ran the country into the ground. We don't want that again. And of course, you have Democratic pundits here and you've got a left-wing activist on Twitter saying, oh, Cuban-Americans, they've just been propagandized. They don't understand. No, let me tell you, the person who has been a beneficiary of capitalism in America, how great communism and socialism actually is, uh, you refugees from a communist country. It's amazing how patronizing the left becomes towards these minority and immigrant groups that don't end up aligning with their dogma. There was a lady last night who says that she is also a Cuban-American. She is some kind of uh, left-wing activist. And she actually said, okay, her name is Andrea Alpino Silva. And uh, she's got a blue check mark. She said she's a movements scholar and she is co-founder of uh, an organization to end rape on campus, which that sounds great. But also her uh, her bio says that she would like to abolish la policia. So that's where she stands on things. Here's what she tweeted about the Cuban vote in Florida going for Donald Trump. Uh, she said that Cubans have been sold a narrative that they have a guaranteed path to whiteness and many will sell out every other minority to get it. Trump's appeal is the appeal of white Supremacy. So the reason why Cubans voted for Trump, according to this left wing activist, is not because Trump had an appealing message of economic opportunity, of freedom, of fundamental human rights, things that are denied to Cubans on a daily basis. The reason why so many Cubans have fled here for freedom, it's not because of that. It's because these Cuban Americans who are not white have been appealed to by white supremacy. Now, how many mental hoops do you have to jump through to get to that conclusion? It's, it's really amazing. Uh, here's another tweet about, uh, about how racism is really the thing that is working in Trump's favor. Mike Freeman, his, he's another blue check mark, a journalist, USA Today sports race and inequality editor, interesting job title, uh, said that polls don't have an algorithm for racism. So the reason why Trump had a better night um, and the polls didn't indicate that he was going to have a good night um, is actually because of racism. That is something that we're seeing, not just in regards to Trump winning Florida, because of the Cuban-American vote, but also because he performed a lot better than he did four years ago among Black Americans and among other Hispanic Americans. So this is from uh, Charles uh, Charles Blow. He is a writer for the New York Times. 
Uh, he said, let's see, is it the New York Times? I just want, yes, he's a New York Times columnist. Uh, he said this, this is so personally devastating to me. The black male vote for Trump increased from 13% to, uh, to 18%. So 13% in 2016 to 18% this year. The black female vote for Trump doubled from 4% in 2016 uh, to 8% this year. So Trump did a lot better among black voters than he did four years ago, a lot better among black voters than uh, than most Republicans typically do. He worked very hard for that vote. And then among Hispanic voters, some polls say that he got about 47%. I think that's the highest number I saw of Hispanic voters. Others say about 41%. Way way outperformed uh, his perform uh, his performance from last year, way outperformed expectations for the Hispanic vote. Now, there are a few reasons for this. Some of them I listed. Uh, a lot of these people are immigrants from uh, socialist countries, from countries that have a lot of unrest. So not only are they hearing the message of economic opportunity and hope and freedom from Trump, and they're like, yeah, that's why I came to America. And they're hearing uh, the doom and gloom message from Democrats about how America is this awful, terrible place and it is so racist and it's not the land of opportunity and actually we just need more big government and we need more socialism. And they're like, hey, that's you know not why I came to America. I also think because of these Hispanic communities or in these Hispanic communities in particular who fled a lot of these places that are filled, characterized by social unrest, they're looking at what's happening in the streets, in these Democrat-controlled cities and states. Uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, these are left-wing activist groups that really the Democrats will not denounce by name. They will make you know, generalized comments about how violence and looting is bad, but they won't call out these organizations by names, by name. They won't dissociate from them. I think that Hispanic voters are probably looking at that and they're like, I just left that. Like, I just left Honduras. I I don't want that again. You're talking about Democrats defunding the police or you're talking about at least like Joe Biden said, redirecting some money away from the police. I don't want that. I came here for economic opportunity. I came here for liberty. I came here because America is supposed to be better than the country I left. I came here for safety and security. I don't want that. Okay, guys, I've got a new sponsor today. I love this sponsor. This is Operation Christmas Child. For those of you who grew up in the church or who have been going to church for any amount of time, you guys know what Operation Christmas Child is. It's a project of the Christian International Relief Organization, Samaritan's Purse. It's the largest organization or it's the largest project um, in regards to Christmas presents for kids in need that exist. The mission of Operation Christmas Child is to demonstrate God's love in a tangible way to children in need around the world and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's been around since 1993. They've delivered more than 170 million gift-filled shoe boxes. Uh, this is, I mean, every year is important for these kids in need to feel that they are loved, to feel that they are thought of, to feel that they are cared for. I encourage you, if you uh, pick up one of these boxes and you fill it out and, and you send it, um, that you pray for that child too, that they would come to know the Lord, that the Lord would be with them. But 
but this year seems just especially important with everything that's going on. Obviously, the coronavirus has affected the world, um, the world round. And so uh, we need to make sure, especially this year, that we are doing everything that we can to care for the least of these. And you might not think that this makes that big of a difference in their life. And sure, it's only one box of toys, but for these kids who have never felt uh, that maybe they are cared for, never felt paid attention to, who have never experienced any kind of Christmas gift or Christmas joy, this is a big deal to to them. And so uh, anyone can pack a shoebox, individuals, families, churches, students. Uh, packing a shoebox is a great way to teach kids about thankfulness and giving back to those in need. So if you have kids, this is uh, this is a really great opportunity for you. All you have to do is go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. That will teach you how to pack a shoebox or to build one online. The collection week is November 16th through 23rd, and you can learn online where you need to drop that off. So that is SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. I also think another reason why Trump did so well with the Hispanic vote um, and is doing so well, as you guys know, votes are still coming in and we'll talk about that in a second, um, is because the media has actually been pretty quiet on the whole immigration issue. In 2016, that was a whole big thing, how the wall was so racist and how Trump was so racist against uh, immigrants. And actually, that has not been a main pitch uh, in the left-wing media for the past few months. And so it just makes you wonder, sans propaganda, targeted propaganda that the media just loves to peddle um, against minority groups, uh, sans that kind of propaganda, you wonder if certain groups are finally just free to think for themselves and free to actually assess the candidates and assess their rhetoric, assess their policies and promises, and then decide which one is better for them rather than wading in the muck and the mire of identity politics and victimization. But what's interesting is that definitely the left-wing media have been targeting with propaganda black voters more than they did probably four years ago, saying how awful Trump is, how racist he is, how white supremacist he is, and talking about how America is this white supremacist country. I mean, the past few months have been just an onslaught of criticism towards America as this white supremacist country and how Donald Trump is a tool of that white supremacy. All white people and especially white Christian conservatives are tools and perpetuators of white supremacy. That has been the main propaganda for the past few months. And we have debunked those myths a thousand times on this podcast. And obviously, black voters predominantly voted Democrat this go round. But Trump improved among them, again, increased from 13% in 2016 to 18% in 2020 uh, among black men. And then the black female vote even doubled from 4% to 8%. So obviously, black males and black females are still predominantly voting Democrat. But the fact that Trump improved at all among these groups when so consistently the media is saying that he is a vicious racist shows that that message is not quite as convincing. It's not quite as effective as the left thinks that it is. And I think that's what this night speaks to 
in general. That Trump, uh, that he obviously he won Florida, he won Texas. Some people for a while were saying, oh, I'm really nervous about Texas. I mean, we knew that Texas was going to stay red you have to look at which counties are reporting when you're looking at these numbers. Even if a state says, okay, 75% reporting and Biden's up in Texas, you have to look at the map and you have to say, okay, well, what counties are not reporting? And when Biden was up or when it was really close in Texas, you had Harris County and you had Dallas County and you had some border towns that are so deeply blue that, of course, it's going to skew in that direction. But if you looked at the rest of the state, you saw that there were a lot of counties that were uh, that were uncounted and we're going to go Trump because that's oil country and Mr. Joe, I'm going to ban fracking Biden, was not going to win those counties. And so Texas was never really, was never going to go blue. It was never really close. So Trump won Texas. He won uh, he, he won Florida. So obviously those were big wins for him. Uh, he is leading in Georgia right now. He's leading in North Carolina. He's leading in Pennsylvania, although that is very precarious. As I'm telling you this now, by the time you listen to this, it could be totally it could be totally different because things seem to be changing by the minute. Biden is barely up in Michigan. He's barely up in Wisconsin. He is up in Nevada. He is also a little bit up in Arizona. So. These are the most contentious states right now. And the reason why people are freaking out, uh, the reason why people are, um, some people on the right are saying, okay, this is an example of, you know, this is fraud. Things are going awry. Why is this happening? Is because uh, they seemed to stop counting the votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona uh, when Trump was up, and then all of a sudden they started counting votes again, and Biden was up, or the margin was much thinner. Now, that in and of itself is not evidence of fraud. It, that in and of itself, that alone is not evidence of fraud. Now, one weird thing that people are talking about in Wisconsin that I do think is that I do think is very weird that um, or sorry in, in Michigan uh, that Donald Trump was up in Michigan and uh, then they had about 128,000 absentee ballots that they counted and apparently 100 percent of those went to Joe Biden. Reportedly, 100 percent of those went to Joe Biden. Not a single third party vote, not a single Donald Trump vote in all of those absentee ballots. And that uh, closed the gap very significantly between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And so people think that's weird. People think it's weird that Pennsylvania and Arizona, that Wisconsin and Michigan seem to be putting a hold on the counting. Some people are saying, you know, this is an indication that they're going to find more votes, that they're um, going to, you know, make sure that these states go for Donald Trump, that the governors and um, and uh, that the officials in those states are just going to ensure that Biden wins by doing some, you know, some 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 fishy, some fishy things. We don't have any evidence of that right now. I do, however, think that there is a reason for people to be concerned about that. I mean, we had the attorney general of of Pennsylvania already say he already said two days ago, look, if uh, if every vote is counted in Pennsylvania, Trump will lose. And so what he is saying by that very partisan statement, because he is expressing a desire for that to happen and he's not supposed to do that. But what he is saying is that if Trump wins Pennsylvania, it's because 
not every vote was counted. Well, that is obviously a very premature statement. That's a partisan statement. That's an inappropriate statement to make before an election because you are already sowing seeds of doubt. You are assuming that if Trump wins Pennsylvania, that it's because of fraud or it's because of voter suppression or it's because uh, not all the votes were counted when that is that that is not a given in Pennsylvania. So there is a reason for conservatives, for Republicans to wonder, okay, what is really going on in these states? Now, in the state of Georgia, the county that we don't have is Fulton County, and I think there are some other votes that we are waiting on. What happened in Fulton County, it's uh, a county in uh, of Atlanta. They were counting the absentee ballots, and apparently a pipe broke in that room, and so they were unable to keep counting the absentee ballots, which again is a little bit weird. Now, Georgia is really close. It's too close for comfort, quite honestly. Now, I predicted that by, uh, that uh, Georgia was going to go blue because I spent some time in Georgia last week and I said, Whoo, this is these are a lot of signs for Biden in what should be a stronghold for Republicans. But you also you never know. There is the shy Trump voter. There are people who are going to vote for Donald Trump aren't going to put a sign in their yard. I'm not going to put a Trump sign. I mean, we didn't put a Trump sign in our yard and we wouldn't because we're uncomfortable in some ways uh, because of that and because of the district that we live in. And so, of course, a lot of people in Georgia are probably the same way. It's not necessarily an indicator of what's going to happen. But when I was there, I was surprised in the, the areas that I was in that I knew were very strongly conservative areas, the number of Biden signs that I saw. And I drove throughout the state and I saw that. And so I just made a little prediction that I thought that North Carolina would go red, that it would go for Trump. I spent some time in North Carolina, too. It was the vibe I got. I'm getting this off of vibes, by the way. This is not any like quantitative data that I am going from. And my feeling, my vibe was that uh, Georgia was going to go blue. I still don't think I now looking at the numbers, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, Fulton County did go for Hillary Clinton last time. And so it is very likely that it'll go for Donald Trump this time. We don't know that for sure. Um, in Arizona, it looks like Joe Biden's going to win. The weird thing about Arizona, the reason why people were upset about Arizona last night is because it seemed like it was called too early. Um and that uh, a lot of people were upset with Fox News for calling it so early. And people were also upset with different networks for not calling Texas, for not calling Florida, for not calling North Carolina. But, you know, every decision desk at these networks, they have a different they have a different strategy. They have uh, different standards that they have to reach before they'll call a state. But calling Arizona so quickly was a point of contention for a lot of people, in particular the Trump campaign, saying, hey, it was way too early to call that. And uh, that's just unfair. There's still a chance that Trump can win Arizona. That is looking less and less likely um, right, uh, right now. And Fox News and other outlets, of course, stood by their decision to call Arizona. Martha McSally uh, she lost her Senate race in Arizona, but she said, you know, I'm not going to concede because, again, she believes that her race was called too early. So there's a lot of contention right now. We still don't know a lot of information about certain states that are saying that, you know, it's going to take them a while to count all of the votes. I don't have 
proof right now of any kind of voter fraud. My prayer is that there's not. Like, even if if Joe Biden wins, my hope is not that this is endlessly litigated. Now, it probably will be. Like, there's probably going to be litigation. There are probably going to be questions. There might even be recounts in some of these states, depending on how close it is. That's not that's not my desire. I My desire is for whoever wins, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump, to win fair and square and for it to just be over with. And if Joe Biden is the president, then we learn how to live with Joe Biden as the president. The reason I'm not too anxious about it is because it looks like Republicans are going to keep the Senate and we've got a conservative Supreme Court. Joe Biden is not going to be able to pack the court if the Democrats don't take the Senate. So He is not going to be a Joe Biden president if he wins. And by the way, that is not a given at all. I'm just saying, worst case scenario, if Joe Biden does win the presidency and Republicans keep this in it, which it's looking very well, like like they will, um, and Republicans gained as much as they did, did as well as they did in the House, then Biden and Harris are not going to be nearly as powerful as they want to be. They're not going to be able to accomplish all the things that they want to. Now, is he going to make broad use of uh, executive orders? Yes, probably so. But again, that can only go so far. That's true under Trump. That was, of course, true under Obama. There's going to be a lot of pushback. Um, I think state legislatures probably happened along predictable lines. Now, when I say predictable, I I guess that even is a controversial term because I think Democrats really predicted that there would be a blue wave, not just in the presidency. I think they probably thought Biden was going to get Florida, like there was a possibility that he was going to get Texas, like he was probably a shoe in in North Carolina, Wisconsin and Michigan. I think that they probably assumed all of those things. And that just hasn't been the case at all. But I think they also thought that they were going to flip the Senate, that they were going to take control of the Senate and that they were going to gain all of these seats in the House. And guys, that just did not happen. So as of right now, according to the New York Times, uh, Dems flipped two seats in the House. Republicans flipped seven seats for a net gain of five seats. Democrats in the House did not see that coming. Democrats in the media did not see that coming. So uh, Democrats or Republicans are still going to be a minority in the House. I saw I heard someone last night say that it's possible that Republicans take control of the House. I don't see the possibility of that happening at all. I mean, hopefully I'm wrong, but I, I don't I don't think that that's possible at all. We're still waiting on, I think, a few results to come in, but it's it's just not going to happen. But Republicans have a very strong minority um, in the House. Democrats did not anticipate that. Senate, they thought in the Senate that it was very likely that they were going to take the majority. They flipped two seats, gaining one so far. Again, we're still waiting for some results there. In Georgia, there's going to be a special election between Kelly Loeffler and Warnock. Warnock is a far left Democrat. It would be terrible if he won that Senate race against Kelly Loeffler. I don't think I don't know if she's a strong enough candidate. I honestly don't. But we'll see what happens. I think come January, Republicans flipped one in the Senate and the one that they did flip uh, was a Pretty obvious Doug Jones got ousted out of the Senate. That was honestly kind of a mistake that he won in the first place against Tommy Tuberville. Uh, Republican Tom Tillis will probably win in the Senate race in North Carolina. David Perdue will probably win in the Senate race in Georgia. But we are still trying to uh, figure that out right now. So it just was not the blue wave that Democrats anticipated 
at all. And I think that in and of itself is amazing to me. Like that in and of itself gives me a comfort because what you hear so constantly is that the Republican Party is totally out of step with most of the country. Some of the exit polls that we saw last night, it was, I mean, they were ridiculous exit polls. I was like, there's no way this is true. This is before, uh, before we got any results. The uh, the election or, or the exit polls were asking questions like, do you want government health care? What do you think about abortion restrictions? And it was so far to the left. It was like 72 percent of exit poll responders uh, said that they want uh, said that they want government run health care. And 60 percent of exit poll responders say that they don't want any restrictions on abortion, like something like that, something crazy like that. And 60 percent say they want a mask mandate, a federal mask mandate. And I was like, wow, if this is really how the country thinks, then I am in more of a minority than what I thought. But what we see from last night, even if Joe Biden wins, is that it's going to be a close presidential race. First of all, Republicans made gains or Democrats said that they could not make gains. This country just is not as far to the left as Democrats want to believe that it is. This whole game of critical race theory and white guilt in identity politics, it just doesn't resonate with enough people. And I have to remind myself of that, that the world is not Twitter, that very few Americans spend their time on Twitter or even Instagram. And that kind of colors my view of the world. And it makes me think people in America are a lot further left and more people are on the left than than really are. But the reality is, is that most people vote with their pocketbooks. Most people vote for the safety and security of their family, both economically and the physical safety and security of their family. They're voting for jobs. They're voting for economic opportunity. And a lot of Americans aren't stupid enough to believe that the Democrats who have been calling for lockdowns are also going to be the ones to save the economy. I mean, Joe Biden and and uh, Barack Obama oversaw the slowest recovery, economic recovery, after the recession that America has ever seen. That recovery accelerated massively under Trump due to a lot of its policies. And I think a lot of Americans see that. Maybe, maybe Donald Trump loses because, you know, the media campaign has been effective against him. The negative rhetoric against him has just, you know, caught hold of a lot of people. And, you know, he works against himself in a lot of ways. And so maybe Joe Biden in a razor thin margin, maybe he pulls it off and he wins the presidency. But the fact that it was so small when there's been so much negative coverage of Donald Trump, when the entirety of big tech, when all of corporate America, when all of the mainstream media and social media is against Donald Trump, internationally, there is a push against Donald Trump. The fact that Joe Biden might, well, Donald Trump might win, but the fact that Joe Biden might win by a tiny, tiny margin shows you that this country is not where Democrats think that it is and not where leftists around the world want it to be. It, it just isn't. That's, that's the truth. Okay, I got to tell you guys about a new sponsor. This is Mack Weldon. So ladies, if you guys are looking 
for what to get your husband for Christmas or a birthday, Mac Weldon is a really great place for you to go. My husband has some clothes from Mac Weldon. He really, really likes them. It's just high quality clothes. The new normal uniform has a lot of people searching closets and drawers for men's essentials, um, but they're just not there. Like maybe your husband has had the same sweatpants since high school and you're like, okay, I would like for you, even though you're working from home, I would like for you to look a little bit nicer. And that is what Mack Weldon is for. So you're looking at a business casual, button-ups, jeans, soft-knit polos, tees, joggers, active shorts, whatever men's basics you need. That is why Mack Weldon exists. Uh, It's got a a wide range of customized fabrics that can keep up with you no matter what your day looks like. Um, Weldon Blue is a totally free loyalty program. Level one gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach level two by spending $200, you get 20% off every order for the next year. That's an amazing deal. I mean, spend $200 on the Christmas gift and then for the next year, he gets 20% off every single order. That is an incredible deal. Save you a lot of money if you are in the market for essential. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash Allie. That's A-L-L-I-E. Enter promo code Allie. That is MacWeldon.com slash Allie. Promo code Allie for 20% off. That is MacWeldon reinventing men's basics. Um, now let's look at some of the demographics and how they broke down. Um, so, uh, 58% white men went for Donald Trump, 40% for Joe Biden, 55% white women went for, uh, went for Donald Trump, 40, uh, 43% for Joe Biden. Now that is interesting because, uh, it went up a little bit among white women, for Trump in 2000 in 2016 52% of white women voted for Donald Trump 43% for Hillary Clinton so in 2020 it's 55% and we have been hearing that there is going to be this big falling away of white women from Donald Trump because white women are just realizing that, you know, Donald Trump is the antichrist and they are just going to leave him in droves. Well, that didn't happen. He gained 3% of the white female vote. Um, 18% black men voted for Donald Trump, again, compared to uh, 13% uh, last time. 8% black women, Latino men, 36% went for Donald Trump compared to 32% last time. Latino women, 28% for Donald Trump compared to 25% last time. And so he made gains there. Um, And so that's that's the the gender and racial breakdown between last year and this year. So, I mean, Trump gained in a lot of these categories now. Among evangelical Christians, let me uh, let me pull that up. Are you so New York Times asked this in an exit poll? Are you a white evangelical or white born again Christian? Seventy six percent voted for Donald Trump compared to twenty three percent voted for Joe Biden. Now that is a little bit down among white evangelicals from 2016 for Donald Trump. It was, let's see, 
Last time, it was 81% voted for Donald Trump, white evangelical Christians, and this time it was 76%. So it did go down five points. That's not very significant, but it is it is something. It is something to speak of. And I think, honestly, that goes, uh, that speaks to the efforts of Joe Biden's campaign to recruit those white evangelicals. I mean, I'm in the white evangelical world, and I see a lot of it. A lot of them have gone woke. A lot of pro-life white evangelicals I've seen on social media say, oh, you know, I'm I'm voting for Donald or I'm voting for uh, Joe Biden for decency. I am voting for him because he cares about all of these other issues. We've also debunked that myth on this show. Um, but even with all of that, there was only a 5% difference. That is something but it's not a lot. It, it is not um, really relative to the effort that they seem to put in in the Biden campaign to get those white evangelicals. It just didn't work as well as they wanted it to. 76% still went for Donald Trump. And of course, people on the left are going to say that's because of racism. They're going to say that that is um, that that's just because, you know, bigotry and all that craziness. They will not make any effort. They won't make any effort whatsoever uh, to try to understand why we care about our constitutional rights and how we see the current state of the Democratic Party fighting against those constitutional rights. Uh, it was Chrissy Teigen who said on uh, on Twitter, it's insane what our fears are if we lose. I'm guessing she's talking about people on the left compared to their fears, conservatives, if Biden wins, like we will like we will prob all die or be handmaids and they're worried about bathroom safety. Now, Chrissy Teigen, I came to your defense when people were, I think, very viciously and cruelly calling you out for taking pictures when you lost your sweet, precious child. And I am still so sad and, and sorry about that. I prayed for you during that time. And I didn't think that anyone had the right to be criticizing you during that time and your personal decision to post pictures, which I thought, you know, I had n nothing wrong with that decision. So, you know, I'm not saying this out of hatefulness, but this statement that you made is so perfectly indicative of why the left isn't more popular, like why the Democrats, even if they win the presidency, why they don't have these landslide victories that they assumed that they're going to have, like they assumed that they were going to have in 2016 and 2018, like they assumed that they were going to have this year. They just don't. And the reason why that is, is because you guys do not understand or make any effort to understand why we vote the way that we do. Maybe it's because we don't like socialism. Like maybe it's because we actually believe in free speech and in the First Amendment, the Electoral College and the impartiality of the Supreme Court. Maybe we don't want socialism. So Meghan McCain, I think, explains this really well. She says she says this in a tweet. Normalizing socialism, mostly peaceful protesting, cancel culture, insane tax rates, arrogant identity politics, apologizing for loving America and patriotism, and overall coastal elitism about Christianity and anyone, anyone making under 100K a year. 
There, I explained it, Democrats. Um, And she is replying to a tweet that talks about that Tuesday was a failure for Democrats, a tweet that I will read in just a second from someone that works at Politico. But she's absolutely right. And Democrats, people on the left, especially the celebrity left, because they are so insulated from reality, they don't understand why people possibly could think differently, why people who make less than 100K a year actually want uh, an economy that provides them with some kind of opportunity and freedom they don't understand that in the slightest. They're like, why Why don't you just care about my transgender bills like I do? Because it doesn't affect people's life the way that it you think that it should. So normalizing socialism, absolutely true. And you can say that's fear-mongering, that's propaganda. It's not. They have Democratic Socialists in the party that almost won the Democratic nomination that worked on Joe Biden's unity task force. They are self-described socialists. I mean, you've got a self-described Marxist organization supporting the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party supporting them. And so it is totally normal for people who have fled socialism, for people who have read about socialism, to be scared of socialism coming to America via the Democratic Party. That is totally rational uh, based on the things that they have said and the things that they have promised. And again, Kamala Harris coming out and saying, oh, we need equality of outcome. Yeah, that's communism. That's what every communist dictator has said for the past 100 years. And so people are worried about socialism. Normalizing socialism is going to push people away. Mostly peaceful protesting. She's referring to the media saying that, oh, yeah, Kenosha might be burning down. Minneapolis might be burning to the ground. People might be looting and rioting. And little kids and elderly people and vulnerable women and children in these areas, poor women and children in these areas, are put at a lot of risk. But it's probably fine. And you know what? Riots are the voice of the unheard. It's it's probably okay, but it's mostly peaceful anyway. Anyone with eyes watches that. And it's like, I don't want that to come to my country. I don't want them to come to my county, my city, my neighborhood. Meanwhile, they're talking about Joe Biden is talking about taking away my guns, making it harder for me to get guns and defunding the police. That doesn't sound safe. That's why you're not getting more people. Yeah, that actually scares people, Chrissy Teigen, who don't have private security and don't live in a gated community within a, a gated home. Like, yeah, that affects people's life. And she also talked about Meghan McCain, cancel culture. People don't want to live in uh, a country to where free speech might be a part of the Constitution, but it doesn't actually exist because if they express their very normal political opinions, they might get fired from their job or they might be facing a social media mob. Arrogant identity politics, again, assuming people, assuming that people actually care about intersectionality, it, it just, it, it, it's not something that normal middle of the country people care about thinking that someone like Kamala Harris, who couldn't even pull at one percent in the Democratic primary, was going to win any of the black vote when she didn't at all. That's arrogance. It obviously didn't work. Apologizing for loving America and patriotism. We have seen that only 22 percent, according to Gallup in 2019, of Democrats said they're extremely proud to be Americans. Um, they think patriotism is bad. I mean, they're the party of the 1619 Project. They're the party that says America is fundamentally bad. We need to basically start over. Most Americans don't feel that way. Overall coastal elitism about Christianity. Yes, that is absolutely true. We saw that when they were talking about Amy Coney Barrett and her family and how she is able to do all the things that she does and condescending her and just completely misunderstanding anything about evangelicalism or conservative Catholicism. 
um, that comes out and people don't like that. I mean, the people who are reporting, the journalists in the media, they don't, most of them do not understand the rest of the country. Like on a fundamental level, they don't understand our concerns. Like they don't understand our fears. That is reflected in these elections. Again, even if Joe Biden wins, I'm not saying no Democrats ever win. And they have a lot of effective strategies, I think, to try to win over some conservatives. But the reason why they're not seeing the blue wave that all the money that goes into their uh, campaigns indicate that they should be getting uh, is because of this, is because of these issues. And until the Democrats take a good, hard look at themselves and say, you know what, we've gone too far left and we're having too hard of a time. We're having too hard of a time getting the people in the middle of the country and we're just not going to be able to convince them. And uh uh-oh, we might be losing some of the black vote and the Hispanic vote. That's not good. Unless they take a good hard look at themselves and realize that the country is not the country of the 1619 Project. We're not the country of critical race theory. We're not the country of intersectionality. We're not the country of Antifa riots. We're not the country who wants communism. Like you might be able to indoctrinate enough young people into thinking that these things are okay, but you're going to have to live with the rest of us for a while. And you're going to have to figure out at some point that it's you. It's not everyone else. Like I was thinking about this earlier. I was talking to my husband. I was like, they're like the women in, in uh, he's just not that into you. They don't realize that the reason why the guy didn't call is because you're annoying. Because he doesn't want to talk to you. Because after the first date, you were a creep. That is how a lot of people, that's how the Democratic Party needs to think they need to think okay you know like why didn't these voters these christian voters why didn't more of these people why didn't cuban americans vote for us instead of saying which so many people are now saying on on twitter that it's racism and sexism that that's the real reason why donald trump is doing well and republicans are doing well instead of just playing that same old game that is so tired that people are so tired of why don't you just look in the mirror for one second and say oh the reason why they didn't call us back is because i'm terrible because i'm super annoying because i'm just like i'm not attractive and i'm not appealing like maybe you should just have a self-reckoning for a second and realize most people don't want the brand of leftism that you're selling yes at one point the the Democratic Party had uh, a better platform that was appealing to a wider swath of Americans that could still be appealing. I think that you could probably say, you know, we want better health care. You could run on that. Um, you could say, you know, we want you could even say we want common sense gun laws um, and we want to make sure that the poor are taken care of, whatever. But most people see that the Democratic Party is the party of abortion through nine months on demand funded by the taxpayer. You are the party of either soft socialism or outright socialism. You are the party of Antifa. You're the party of Black Lives Matter rioters. And most people don't want that. You're the party of intersectionality and critical race theory. Most people don't even comprehend what the heck you're talking about. You're the party run by the guy who said that it's fine for eight-year-olds to be transgender. Most people don't want that. Most people don't want that. And so until the Democratic Party looks into the mirror, and says, okay, we got we to gotta get out these radicals. We got to denounce the radicalism and we've got to kind of move to the center and we've got to focus on these policy issues that are popular. And we've got to stop the radicalism and the far leftism that has just intoxicated our party. You're not going to see a blue wave. You're just not. Not outside of ballot harvesting, voter fraud, and just outright tyranny. You're just not going to see it. You're going to win some elections here and there, of course. 
you're going to win over some voters. Yeah, that's that's true. That's that's going to happen. But you're not going to see the blue wave that you've been predicting at least since 2016. It's just not going to happen. Even when Barack Obama was president, Republican legislatures uh, were dominating in the states. And um, it's because the majority of Americans, even if some of them vote Democrat moderately, they think that they're moderate. They're not on board with the far leftism. And until Democrats realize that it's not us, it's you, you're not going to see the blue wave that you want to see. Uh, so that's my that's my take on all of that. Um, it's a crazy time. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen quite yet. Um, I feel pretty comfortable as long as it is sure that Republicans are going to keep the Senate, no matter what wins with what happens with the presidency. Of course, do I want Donald Trump to win the presidency? Of course I do. And there's still a chance for him to do that. And I think this is going to be litigated. Donald Trump is already talking about them trying to steal the election. I don't think that he should be talking about that. I think that that is a little premature to be talking about that. I also just don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's helpful. Like, let's not raise the temperature anymore in this crazy, contentious time. Just say, like, look, I'm going to be patient. We're going to figure this out. We're not going to let any fraudulent stuff happen. Democrats should say the same thing. We're not going to let fraud happen. We're going to make sure every vote is counted. We're going to make every uh, make sure every vote is counted with integrity. Say that. Don't make accusations yet. Don't jump to conclusions yet. The last thing we need to do is to raise the temperature um, by saying that the election is stolen when we just like we just don't know that. Okay, guys, another break to tell you guys about Gabby Insurance. That is G-A-B-I, Gabby Insurance. If you've had the same homeowner's insurance or car insurance for years and you're just kind of like assuming that you have the best rate, you don't need to make that assumption because chances are there could be a better rate out there for the exact same coverage. And that is why Gabby exists to make sure that you are getting the best deal possible for that same coverage that you need. So all you have to do is go to Gabby and you link your uh, insurance information. And in a matter of minutes, they will pull up results of um, of other offers for you for the same exact insurance coverage, but for a better price. And if they don't find a better deal for you, then you can just rest assured knowing that you already have the best deal for insurance that you could possibly have. But there's nothing to lose. They don't store your data. They're not going to share your personal information with anyone. They've actually got people back there who are trying to find the deals for you. And so you don't have to worry about um, them, you know, harvesting and selling your information or anything like that. They're not going to spam call you or anything. It really is just a free service. You just link your insurance information. A better deal comes up. If it doesn't, again, you just rest assured knowing that you have the best uh, deal possible. But Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. Um, and so, like I said, there's really nothing to lose. You just go online and you see if you can save about 800 bucks a year. Uh, so go there now, gabby.com slash relatable. That is G-A-B-I.com slash relatable. Totally free. Just takes a few minutes. That is gabby.com slash relatable. That's I think that's all. I'll, oh, let me let me say this. I thought that this was interesting. So um, and this just goes to show again what we were talking about, how Democrats just have not been able to reconcile with reality. Amy McGrath, she uh, she ran against Mitch McConnell and Jamie Harrison. He ran against Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. Amy McGrath and Jamie Harrison raised a combined 
$199,004,686. That is $200 million combined their campaign spent and lost to both Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham by a combined 35 points. That's that is something. I mean, we kind of see this a lot. Like John Ossoff in Georgia, he's been well funded. Uh, we saw this with Beto back in 2018. So well funded, just national push for these people to unseat these incumbent senators and celebrity endorsements and all that stuff. And to no avail, to no avail, hundreds of millions of dollars to no avail. I just don't think Democrats have a good They don't have a finger on the pulse of America. Uh, Oh, let me read you this tweet from Politico, from Anna Palmer at Politico. I I really like her. Um, I think that she is a a fair person that works there. She said said this, today's, so today's playbook, uh, what blue wave? Tuesday was an abject disaster for Democrats in Washington. This is not a, this is not a conservative commentator, by the way. Uh, an abject disaster for Democrats in Washington to imagine the amount of soul searching and explaining the party will have to do after Tuesday is absolutely dizzying. The infighting will be bloody as it should be. Democrats told us in the weeks and months leading up to the election, uh, leading up to election day that they were on track to win the majority in the Senate and they don't appear poised to do that. D's and R's uh, said that Dems would win a dozen seats in the House and knock off a whole host of Republican incumbents, and that was completely wrong. Instead, they'll have north of 200 House seats, making House R's an extremely powerful minority with uh, no matter who wins the White House. Wow, that is crazy. And so that's kind of the commentary that we are getting from some people uh, in the media, and I appreciate that. Like, I appreciate that honest commentary rather than just saying it was racism and sexism, which just gets us nowhere. So as you guys know, God is not surprised. He's not thrown off. He's still on his throne. He's not wondering what's going to happen. He's not still counting up the votes. I mean, the Bible says that uh, all of the hairs on our head are all numbered. That's what Matthew 10 says. And so God has all of the votes numbered too. He knows exactly how many votes there are for each candidate. He knows exactly what's going on behind closed doors. He knew exactly who each of us were going to vote for before we did. He knew the results of the election. He knows the results of the election now. He knows how the litigation is going to go. He knows every single thing that is going to happen and nothing can thwart his will. Nothing happens apart from his sovereign will. That doesn't mean that he likes everything that happens. That doesn't mean that he approves of everything that happens, but nothing uh, thwarts his will. Job 42.2 says says that. It says nothing is too hard for you. Um, And so God can do anything that he wants to do. We should pray for a speedy process. We should pray for integrity in this election, no matter which way it goes. We shouldn't assume just because Joe Biden wins, even if it seems weird to us, which it does seem weird in places like Wisconsin and Michigan. um, But we shouldn't assume that that is because of fraud. We shouldn't automatically latch on to that narrative. We can, of course, be skeptical. We can ask questions, but we can't just assume that. We have to pray um, for an efficient and an honest process for a quick process for there to be as little controversy as possible. I know that's hoping against hope. 
for God to be glorified and for Christians, for us to be joyful and for us to be at peace, for us to go about doing the things that uh, we are called to do, to love our neighbor, to love our family, to be obedient, to be in prayer, to be in the word, to not let our anxiety um, crush us. I mean, I slept fine last night. I slept fine the night before last too. Um, I know God is completely sovereign. So we can enjoy the beauty and the peace of God being in complete control, knowing uh, that he knows exactly what's going to happen. He's never thrown off or surprised, and he is not limited by time or space. He is certainly not tied to the outcome of the election. His kingdom ever never ends, and he will rule in perfect peace forever. And so we can trust in that and rejoice in that. So that's where I am right now. I'll keep you guys updated on Instagram. I'll probably do like an Instagram live later because I know all this stuff is changing uh, by the moment, uh, but I will be back here on Friday. I'll talk to you guys then. 